0: Tonight, I was, I was looking through, you know, there's so many parables in, in the New Testament. Jesus told, I think, 70 some different parables, if you count each one individually. And the one we're going to talk about tonight is one I have never really studied or spoke on before. I mean, I've, I've read it a number of times, and usually the application is, is to, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. But I, as I was thinking about this parable, one of the things that kind of reminded me is... I don't know about you. How many are like me where I love doing, like, home improvement projects or working on the car? I was just raised that way. We just did it all ourselves. Anybody else grow up that way? Well, here's something you learn when you do it that way. is <laughs> There's a lot of times where you experience unintended consequences. Anybody ever had that happen? Well, for me, it always it seems like it's always around plumbing. If I'm working on plumbing, I just know in advance whatever I'm initially trying to fix i'm gonna to have to fix at least one other thing now you're a plumber so you are you shaking your head because you know how we homeowners mess stuff up because you don't do that right okay well <laughs> i remember one of the first things i w- my dad was in the navy he was gone and i was probably i don't know 11 or 12 and the faucet in the shower was leaking and um so i had seen him work on stuff before i figured well how hard could it be right well i didn't turn the water off so I start messing with that thing, and pretty soon, you know, there was a stream of water. It was probably that thick coming out of the wall, shooting right across. Thankfully, we had the showers. You just shut the doors, you know, so it was just splattering against the wall, shooting straight across. I mean, you could have. It was just straight across, stream of water, and uh, it took me a while to figure out how to shut the water off. Anyway, we ended up having to have somebody help me with that, but, you know, kind of the unintended consequences, you know, we didn't intend to mop the whole, kit- the whole bathroom that day, but that's when it was happening, Right. Then I remember years ago, one of my friends, he, he was kind of a fix-it guy, and he would call me with these unintended consequences because he'd get himself in over his head. But I remember one time, he was working at this house, and he gives me a call, and he goes, can you get here in like five minutes? I said, well, I can if I have to. What do you need? He goes, well, I'm standing in a foot of water in this lady's living room. Whoa. And <laughs> he was working on something and just, again, unintended consequences. You know, what he was trying to fix... ended up breaking two other things and he couldn't fix them all at the same time oh it was horrible that was a long 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 day and night fixing that house i mean she got new carpet unattended consequences right well this is kind of how this parable works a little bit and um how many i know i've asked this question a number of times but how many of us are gardeners again okay so we we moved into this house in blue springs and we moved in you know in the summer but what we didn't know is what was going to come up in the spring so some of you, how many like perennials? You know, you don't have to mess with them. They come up every year. You just basically trim them, right? And that's nice. But they don't always flower as much. You know, that's why annuals that you plant every year are more popular. But for this new house, we were kind of waiting to see what's going to come up. No flowers. So we were kind of disappointed. But we didn't know that at first. We just had to wait, you know, because you see stuff coming up, and you don't know what you're going to get. So... um we just had to wait. And then, you know, at least one flower bed, I mean, it was kind of overgrown with just ground cover, and it had a few flowers, but I couldn't wait any longer, so I just tore the whole thing out to start over. And then, uh, you know, we still don't know. There might have been some cool stuff in there, but I just didn't, I couldn't wait. That's just, you know, I wanted to plant some other things that I knew would, knew would flower. But, you know, the funny thing about that is, is if you are a gardener, there's some roots that, you know, are are kind of shallow, and then some are like this tree, where you, know, you see this dirt has fallen away from the tree. I mean, there's only probably half the tree still in the ground, and sadly, probably the rest of it will fall out eventually if, that, if that's a river or creek that's running by there. I don't know, but um, what's amazing about this picture is to think that that entire tree is still growing and healthy because it's still rooted in there. But, you know, roots are, can be tough, and the funny thing about gardening is, have you notice weeds are tougher than the plants you want? <laughs> and the cultured plants you're trying to grow um they're never as strong as the weeds and you have to kind of baby them, don't you? And if you're whatever you're trying to grow, what you want to grow, you have to cultivate it, you have to water it, you have to feed it, give it a little fertilizer, you have to protect it from even the other weeds that'll choke it out. But then those unintended consequences, you have to be really careful when you're doing the weeding cuz most of the time, what you want to grow is too fragile, and you'll just tear it up as you're pulling weeds out. So it's funny like that. So as we've talked about the kingdom of heaven and the, the different parables that we've looked at, what are some of the things we've learned about the, uh, the kingdom of heaven in the last few weeks? Can you guys shout some things out? The kingdom of heaven is like nothing. M- mustard plant, what was it like, though? Not mustard, I hope, but... It grows. It starts from something small, and it grows. You can't stop it growing. It's going to spread through everything, just like the yeast. Okay, that was one of them. That was about the kingdom of heaven. What else is the kingdom of God like that we talked about? See, I'm grading the teacher now, and the teacher's getting a horrible grade here. Um, Okay, so we talked about all those things. We talked about how... um, You know, where the king is is where there's dominion. We talked about persistence. We talked about good soil and bad soils and how the kingdom of God, when it planted in good soil, it flourishes and and produces, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 fold. Uh, We talked about how God runs to us and gives us grace in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a place of grace where you can't earn it and everything you did, you don't get, you don't deserve, but he gives you good, wonderful things. But today, let's look at this parable. It says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field, but that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. Now, in in a lot of versions, it doesn't use the word general word weeds. It actually uses a very specific weed called tares or darnel. It's actually a certain weed he talks about in this story. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So that's what he tells them to do. Then they asked Jesus for an interpretation of this. Uh, parable so he gives it to him a little later this is in chapter 13 of matthew verses uh, 37 on down to 40 so the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed the field is the word world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom the weeds are the people who belong to the evil one the enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil and the harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the world. So he goes on a little bit. The son of man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Any Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's recount who's in this story here. We've got a farmer, we've got good seed, we've got a field, we've got an enemy, we've got tares or weeds. And you remember what they all were? Who was the farmer? Jesus, right? It was Jesus. And the good seed was who? You. People of the kingdom, right? And uh, the field was what? The world. Okay, and the enemy was... Okay. The evil one, right? The devil. He even calls him the devil. And then the tares or the weeds are who? The weeds were the people of the evil one, his his people. Then the harvesters are the angels at the end. Well, I mentioned that they use a specific weed because those of you who guard it, I mean you know there's certain weeds that are they're different than other weeds. You know, certain you don't want to grab with your hand because they're pokey or I don't like the ones that leave that milky, sticky stuff on me. So, you know, I'll use like a shovel or something to get those out. And then some I don't care. I'll just grab them. And some have thorns and you know you gotta avoid certain ones. Well these weeds that they're talking about was a very specific weed. This particular weed it, it not only was it a very specific weed, but the reason that he used that term is because it actually looks like wheat. So there it is. On the left is wheat as it's growing in green, but when it's growing, it looks a lot like that one on the right, which is the tare that he's talking about, or the Darnell. It's a certain weed. And you see why he used that specific weed? is because it looks exactly the same. The problem is, that weed, if you were to eat it, it's actually poisonous. And it would have some some horrible effects on you if you actually ate that weed, which most people wouldn't do it. I guess animals and all wouldn't do it. But if you harvested it together with the wheat, you see how it would contaminate it and it would ruin the whole thing. And so in the story, the farmer says, don't pull them out now because you'll pull out the wheat with the weed because the roots would have been intermingled and you would have pulled them out together and you would have ruined your harvest. But then as the wheat matures, it starts to look more like this. And do you see, can you tell the, yeah. the uh, weed in the middle of the wheat? Can you see that? Jeff, can you see it? It's green. <laughs> he, uh... He's a little colorblind, but it's hard to see. But the truth is, the wheat, the wheat is all laying over. And then right in the middle is that Darnell right there. Because it's matured, but it's sticking straight up still. And then the wheat kind of bends over so that the workers would have been easy for them to tell the difference. And here's another picture that kind of shows you another field once it's all ready to harvest, and then that that other stuff's just sticking straight up. Yeah. Yeah, you could make some analogies there, but here's the point, is when Jesus tells these stories, they knew exactly what he meant. They walked right by these fields all the time. They had seen this process over and over. For us, you know, we kind of lose it on the, you know, weeds are weeds and all that, and that's true, but there's a big difference here. So what are some of the things we could talk about here? Here's something to think about, first of all. Um, the fact is, we serve an enemy who's pretty clever in how he mixes, mixes in the temptation and sin, isn't he? I mean, that whole devil with a blue dress. I mean, if he's, if, he's dressed in, um, if he's dressed in a pitchfork and horns and a red suit, you know who he is, right? He usually doesn't come like that. He comes as an imposter, he doesn't have a lot of creativity in his own. What he does is he takes what God has produced and he makes counterfeits and he counterfeits and he copies it and he makes it horrible. That's what he does. That's why Jesus uses this illustration because the wheat looks so much like that particular weed. And that's what we have all the time. And what the parable he's talking about is there's these, these uh, specific things that we are tempted with or in this case, he's talking specifically about people who are acting as if they're believers, but they're not really believers. Now, the enemy, he, doesn't, he didn't, in this story at least, he didn't sow, he sowed weeds that looked like the wheat. He didn't sow like straight up thistles or thorns or things that would be super obvious to see the difference. Instead, it was something really, really close. Another thing that we pick up in this story is the... the the farmer is warning that the wheat, the roots of the wheat aren't that deep and you could tear them all out together. It's interesting to think about because sometimes as a Christian, it can be pretty unsettling when you're, you find out that, that people aren't exactly what they said they were or maybe someone around you that you know has a, has a failure. It can be really unsettling to your own faith. Maybe the thing I want to emphasize more than all that is this. Did you ever think that the kingdom of God would have enemies? I mean, why would the kingdom of God have an enemy? Isn't the kingdom of God what everybody should want and aspire to? And as Jesus was preaching about this new kingdom, don't you think everybody would rush to it and want to be part of it? I mean, how could anybody be an enemy of all this? I mean, everything Jesus was preaching was good, and and it was kindness and love your neighbor and be unselfish and do for others what you'd want them to do for you. Why, why would anybody fight that? But people do. The kingdom of God does have enemies left and right. And I think part of the reason that that uh, Jesus tells this parable is he's trying to warn people that there is an enemy of your soul. And the enemy of your soul wants to destroy you and everything that is good. He, he's a clever enemy though. Like I said it a minute ago, he doesn't do it Most of the time, he doesn't do it right in your face so that you notice. It's usually very deceptive and sneaky because he's smart like that. But his ultimate goal that he wants to achieve is your destruction and everybody around you. And we quote John 10.10 all the time because it's a perfect verse for this. But it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. And when you see theft and death and destruction around you, he is the source and the culprit. Most of the time, we see it at the hands of people around us, but the ultimate culprit is going to always be him. On the other hand, Jesus wants to give you life and life that's more abundant. That kingdom that he promised is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I ask the question, and I think, these terrors that are sown among us, is it what, what, what was it that made these people not want to be part of the kingdom? I mean, wouldn't you think that they'd be overwhelmed by the kingdom and want to be part of the kingdom? So it makes you wonder, as Jesus is telling this story, what's he trying to communicate here? I think part of what he's trying to communicate is the fact that there are people who may not even know that they're enemies of the kingdom because they're fooled by the kingdom they're a part of. Let me let me say it like this. If, if you're a fish swimming in the ocean, do you know you're in the ocean? No. That's just the environment you know. And I, I really believe that there's people all around us who are part of part of this world who have no idea notice this too this particular parable usually it's applied to the church and if you were to google you know sermons on this parable what you will find is most of the sermons are about a preacher saying there's people in here who you're probably not even saved or people who are whatever but that's not really the context of the parable jesus said it was the world the world not the church and so someone might say well, that's because the church didn't exist yet Well, he actually refers to the church in other times and he says, you know that that the hate gates of hell will not prevail against his church so I don't know if I buy that he specifically says the world The fact is there's people in the world who have no idea. They're part of what we call the world We live in our Christian bubble here, and we're surrounded by Christians a lot, and we talk Christianese, and we know what we all mean. And I was even being, I was going to mention this tonight, so I was super sensitive to it, but even as I'm calling you guys to prayer and I'm saying amen over and over, that I'm thinking, who knows what that means if you're not part of our club and don't know all the words. We've tried to change some of the words we use at church to make it a little easier for people who are new to church. I was raised in church. I mean, I I spoke Christianese probably right along with my English growing up. But most people aren't familiar with that term sanctuary that we use so casually because it's familiar to us. Most people who aren't around church don't really understand that, but they do know what an auditorium is. But think about this for a minute. Most of the people who are those, those enemies of the kingdom, they don't know that. They're just part of it. That's the air they breathe and the water they drink and the world they they live in. That's all they know. Beyond that, though, the the kingdom is actually under active attack all the time. This kingdom that Jesus is setting up, it is revolutionary to another kingdom. You, You realize that, right? And he died for this kingdom. It was under attack when he launched the kingdom, and that has never, ever changed. Now, there have been times in human history where Christians have been maybe more in charge of a kingdom, you know, like we know through church history and all that there was even a time where the Pope was in league with the Roman emperor and all that. But even then, that wasn't really the true kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. And the fact is that his kingdom will always be under active attack by the kingdom of the enemy, always. We... We don't want to fight, though. You know, most of us want to just peace, and we want to get along with everybody. But the fact is, we have the good news and the answer, and for us to spread that is going to be going against the grain, and it's going to be going against what the other kingdom wants. You're always going to be going against the flow. You know, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if everybody was Christian, and I know for people, I know... You know, Lots of communities have tried to even set up places where it's all Christian and all, and and I I understand that desire, but the fact is we're not called to live in Christian kingdoms. We're called to advance the kingdom of God and get as many people in the kingdom as we can because that other kingdom, as you saw in this parable, ends in death, and it's horrible, and they need to know, and we have the answer to all that. That's why it's it's a kingdom that's under attack and it's a kingdom that is being spread. In this parable, Jesus talks about the, the the weeds being sown at night. And what that implies is that the that the people who were doing the planting for the kingdom, they were kind of asleep on the job. They weren't paying attention. It was snuck in on them and they planted at night. It it also kind of implies that the attack sometimes comes from within and and because we're inattentive, we don't notice it coming, but it's always being attacked. You know, it makes me wonder, though, um, what's, what's better, defense or offense for the church, for the kingdom of God? <laughs> All the fighters are like, offense, right? And I would tend to agree. I think offense is the best defense. I mean, defense is good, but really, we're not called to be defending. We're called to be spreading the gospel, and, and if we're defending, that means like it's almost as if we're just staying in our safe zones and hoping they come here. But that's, that doesn't spread the gospel in the kingdom of God. That's, that needs to be more on offense for that to happen. I think about this, defense or offense? Actually, I think the answer is both. That We need to be doing both all the time. Have you ever heard this before that, that tellers, anybody here, a bank teller, ever been one? Are trained to, to detect counterfeits by looking at the real thing? Let's start there. For you to defend the faith and to be one that is going to be advancing the faith, you've you got to know what you believe. You've got to know what this faith is all about. So I encourage you to study as much as possible. I'll say this too. When I first went to college, I was a science major, and that, that line about the best um, defense is a good offense, um, I had a lot of people saying, oh, because I was, I was a science major, and they're saying, oh, that's going to be hard on your faith because everybody's an atheist and everybody's you know Whatever. And my attitude was, well, okay, bring it. Let's, let's see who can do this, you know. And, and I get to school, and sure enough, you know, I got called in the office, uh, well, in the teacher's office hours a number of times because I would ask questions, and they felt like I was being disruptive. I was just asking. It didn't make sense. I just wanted to know. But here's the problem. Back then, I found a book, finally. It was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Has anybody ever seen that? It's a great book, but it's like this thick and half of it is all like scientific notes and stuff and and it was good but today the resources for Christians to defend their faith it's unbelievable and there's so many and they're so good it's it really if you have any interest in that or a question about something or you're talking to someone who's a who's a maybe a curious person about Christianity and they have a question you can get answers to all these things but beyond all that when you think about the the um the attacks or the the weeds that might be sown even in and amongst you know us as christians how do you conquer that you know how i think the best thing is to do i think the best thing is is love itself this this phrase love conquers all isn't actually in scripture it's not a biblical phrase but here's what it is i just want to run through a bunch of scriptures that tell us as Christians kind of our battle plan and what we're supposed to do as Christians how we're supposed to overcome the attacks that the kingdom is under all the time. So let's just take a look at a few of these real quick. Most important of all this is in 1 Peter 4, 8. most important of all continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. The love that's talked about here is something that nobody could argue with. Nobody could nobody could possibly have a problem with. The fact is this kind of love overcomes everything. This is the kind of love that that loves people. You don't. It's not saying that you condone what they're doing, but you love them in the middle of it. I've seen this kind of love break down barriers that no argument ever would. I've seen this kind of love break down barriers that self-righteousness and acting better than everybody else ever would. This is the kind of love that serves people who are maybe angry with you or serves people who disagree with you. But you do it because you care about them because the, the Savior who loved you loves them and you're just displaying that love to them. You are being His love incarnate, in the flesh, right there, helping. This is the kind of love I'm talking about. In Luke, uh, Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. That is so illogical, isn't it? I mean, most of us think, oh, we're going to fight them, and we're going to fight them on the, On the, what, did, what did Churchill say? Well, fight them on the seashore, or fight them. I mean, he went on and on, and and yeah, that was appropriate in that case, but When we're talking about this advancing kingdom of God and the fact that the kingdom of God is always under attack, this should be our number one battle plan. At every turn, pray for your enemies. Love those, love those who hurt you in every case. Let's keep going with this. If another believer sins against you, now we're in the church here, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Notice that's the motivation is to win the person back. That's the motivation. And notice you're supposed to do it privately, one-on-one. But if that doesn't work out, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Again, the goal is always reconciliation there because obviously that attack against the kingdom would be way more effective if it was in the church and from within and there's times where... Any of us who've been in the church for a while, you know that there's times where people in the church are going to disagree and have issues, but even then, those issues need to be dealt with in this manner, one-on-one, then go, and then the motivation is always reconciliation. Then it says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person, this is, I, I don't know if I've ever seen this really done in church, hopefully we never even get to this point, but treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. (laughs) ouch look at what it says here this is one of my favorite verses of all time don't use foul or abusive language let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them we want to fight all the time and we want to fight what's coming against us as a church this is how you fight it let everything that comes out of your mouth be an encouragement people can't fight that that is that is something that will overwhelm even the greatest the greatest onslaught and the greatest enemy you know, the, uh, in Proverbs it says, a kind word turns away wrath, anger. I love it. More more battle. Here, here's how to fight. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. No fuel for the fire, it goes out. I love this. This is how you fight. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to talk about people. We're not going to let that happen. It will go out. Look at this one. They, may, they must not... Uh, uh, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone, to everyone. Here's what I want us to do for a few minutes. I have a portion of scripture I want to close with over you almost as a prayer. It's a, it's a prayer. Paul was talking about it as if he was praying. And I want to do that for us for a minute. And what I'm going to ask is, David, if you could put some music on for just a few minutes. So far tonight we've been talking about how we fight the onslaught there. But even with this parable, it still stands that one of the most important things in this fight is to for us to examine our own selves, our own hearts. There's times where we can feel like we're in a fight and then the problem is us, and nobody wants to admit that you're wrong. Nobody wants to admit that we are the problem we we touched on it in a sermon on a sunday not too long ago the fact that that we all live in some level of denial about our own our own issues and sometimes when we're in this battle we think we're we're valiant and fighting for the kingdom we're really part of the problem so i want us to do this for a minute and just kind of examine ourselves and i'm going to ask that we even pray and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of examine our hearts, see if there's any any way in us that needs to be corrected before we go and take on the world with all this love and everything we've been talking about. I was talking to someone today who was saying, they were telling me about a situation that they're in, and it was very, very frustrating, and I think that they're on the right side. However, they admitted clearly that they're angry, and because of that, they know that they're tempted to be spiteful, and Their prayer was that they would have a right heart. I was so impressed with that. I read this quote. It said, repentance is like antiseptic. You pour antiseptic on a wound, and at first it always stings, but it heals. Some of us need to do that today. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read this scripture over us, and then I'm just going to leave you to contemplate what you've heard tonight and see what God wants to do in you and through you because of it. Father, I pray for us, for each one of us. God, we stand before you and we know that you have this great kingdom and this intentions to give freedom and joy to a world that is desperately in need of that. God, we, we pray that you would use us for that and that you would see inside of us and, and let us know what part of us needs to change. What is it that's inside of us that needs to be fixed? God, we know that we have shortcomings and and failures, and we want you to fill those in tonight. Speak to us in those things. So with your eyes still closed, I just want to speak this over you. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. It says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That is my prayer over you. That was Paul's prayer over the Ephesians. It's it's our prayer that God would see that done in us and everybody in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you guys. You're dismissed if you feel like you're ready to be dismissed, or you can just sit here and pray and, and let those thoughts come over you for just a few minutes.